Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Juliette Televi, and joining me to tackle your questions this evening are Jonathan Fisher from PSG Wealth, Santon Grayston, and Drickus Combrink from Capicraft. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za, or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Jonathan, uh, Drickus, good to see you both here this evening. Uh, Drickus, if I can start with you, um, it was a pretty flat finish for the JSE. Uh, some shares having a really good day, like Tungela, which we'll get to in a moment. But unsurprisingly, quite a lot of the resources shares came off today. Um, and would that uh, be linked to the Chinese growth stats that came out? And also the fact that China is now cutting its lending rates, which is pretty much opposite to what everyone else is doing um, in an effort to, to inflate its economy. Do you think that's um, going to keep a a lid on resources stocks um, for the foreseeable future? Yeah, um, well, the foreseeable future depends on what China's um, COVID policy is, so that's difficult to say. And we've got the Communist Party convention later this year, the leadership convention, where, and I'm sure that Xi Jinping would like uh, economy that's quite open, you know, economy that's improving, heading into that. Um, so, you know, um, Demand might improve leading up to that. That's that's quite possible. But yeah, was the 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 um, what I might call yeah disappointing figures from China. And then secondly, there's the Iranian deal um, on the table again for some reason. Just as the oil price bounces, there's news of an Iranian deal just before the U.S. midterms. Um, I think the Biden administration is doing anything within and with you know <laughs> out of their power to get the price of oil and uh, the rate of inflation down before the midterms in the US in November. So um, I think so. I think energy has some headline risk getting into that. Mm. Jonathan, just on uh, the energy prices, because you saw the oil price come off today, um, on the basis that people are worried about economic growth. But to some extent, if people are worried about inflation too, uh, should we not uh, take this as negatively? Um, as, as you may, especially as it will benefit us. I mean, a lower oil price means that the, you know, the cost of our fuel is going to go down. And, and that has, has been one of the big inflationary factors um, or the big factors driving inflation everywhere. So does one have to weigh this up? Um, or, or is the lower oil price, do you say, would you say it's, it's, you're more worried about the fact that it's an indication of um, expectations of poor economic growth? Difficult one, look. Um you know, a couple of things going on there. I think um, for the world economy, um, it would be far better to have a lower oil price, um, you know, relative to where it is now. I think it's about $93 odd um, purely because we need world inflation to subside. And that's what um, what is necessary, you know, for, for inflation and I guess interest rates um, not to go up intensely or at a rapid rate. So to answer your question, I think a, a lower oil price is definitely welcomed. I mean, I think everyone watching your show would love the oil price to be $40 versus $93. Everyone except know, Cecil investors. Well, just, yeah, except Cecil investors. But, but basically, um, you know, the lower oil price will definitely uh, pull back the inflationary worries. Um, and you know we yeah you know, we we would like that to happen, but uh, I guess it all depends on 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 economic growth. I think you touched on um, 
if the world is slowing down in terms of economic growth, um, then yes, it does have an impact um, on the oil price and a lower demand. Mm. But, um, you know, it's a difficult one, Juliet. I mean, re really, we just want lower oil price, which feeds into um, uh, inflation in, in every aspect of, of the way. Yeah. Well, ideally, we would want a, a low oil price, a low inflation and high economic growth um, and low Correct. interest rates. So uh, that would be beautiful, but I don't know if we're going to yeah. get that. Um, Drickus, just going back to you, and I don't want to get too esoteric and maybe it's a little bit too, uh, too much of an outlier, but you get the sense that China has always um, ridden uh, to the rescue of the global economy by inflating its own economy and it's picked up the, uh, the slack for everyone else. Uh, um, it's had so many stimulus programs since 2008 and we are so used to China riding to the rescue that if they can't do it anymore, do we need to um, recast our assumptions for a lot of shares listed on the JAC, in other words, commodity shares, and then also shares such as uh, NASPAS and Process? Well, firstly, Julie, it's uh, um, the last time that they really spent a lot of money, and it was record amounts to be sure, was uh, in the early 2010s, now, after coming out of the global financial crisis, that stimulus. And after that, the stimulus weren't all that great. Uh, so they, they made a conscious decision um, after 2015, when they devalued the, the um, Remimbi, they, um, they decided to, you know, have a more controlled stimulus going forward. That's what they did actually during COVID. It was much more controlled than what we had in the West. It was supply side-led. Um, uh, the West had demand-driven um, uh, stimulus measures. So much more controlled, much more um, restrained, if you will. And um, so... Yeah, to a degree, you're right. You know, we shouldn't expect them to come to the rescue to commodity producers and to to our exports, etc. But I do see other things picking up the slack. For one, India is growing at a decent pace while the rest of the world is struggling. Um, and uh, you know, as 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 economies move up or as societies move up, the the income chain they do become more resource intensive mm. uh, at first. Absolutely. So India has a lot to move in terms of. Um, commodity consumption per capita, et cetera. Then we've got the green movement, you know, the building of renewable energies, et cetera. There's a war going on that all demands more commodities, certain commodities to be sure, not all. And then thirdly, a lot of commodities, uh, and I would not include iron ore there, um, which is our main export basically these days. Um, uh, a lot of commodities are in short supply. So you would need uh, a, a really um, huge recession, global recession, um, you would need China and the U.S. going into proper recessions to drive oil back to, you know, pre-COVID lows, um, you know, to $50 per barrel, et cetera. Um, so I think we're in, a, we're in a different world, a more supply-constrained world. And if demand comes back for some reason, you'll see co commodity prices hitting new highs. Um, so I think that central banks will be trying to avoid that, and they'll keep a lid on financial markets and on the economy to avoid you know, prices spiraling out of control. Yeah. Okay. All right. And that well, means yeah. that means higher interest rates than what what we you know used to. Mm. Yeah, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um. Uh. But going to questions and and speaking about commodity producers, I did mention Tungela, which came out with results today. Of course, uh, the figure that everyone latched onto is the fact that they're paying a sixty rand per share dividend. And I think even this time last year, you could still have bought Tungela shares for about forty eight rand, which is almost double, uh, well, actually more than double where they listed. So, um, you know, if you've bought anything around that level, you've got 
a massive payout for free, essentially. Um, and the question is, Tungela announced this dividend, good results. Why did not the share not have a run today and can it go higher? Uh, Jonathan, it did have something of a run, 3%, um, which yes. given its run over the last, I suppose, six months, is still pretty good, even though it is slightly off its highs. Look, Tungela has been a phenomenal performer since it was unbundled out of Anglo's. And um, these results were in line with their trading update and expectations. So I think it was largely built into the price um, of the you know of the share. Um, but I mean, the main driver here, Julieta, really has been uh, the elevated coal price um, at unprecedented levels. And you know, part of the reason has been because of I think a large reason because of the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine and uh, the high energy prices. So it's, you know, driven by that, demand for thermal coal exacerbated by this. I mean, those numbers were unbelievable, you know, headline earnings per share from 305 cents to 67 rand. It's <laughs> a 2,000% uh, increase, dividend of 60 rand. Um, now, sustainable? Probably not. It all depends on the energy prices, uh, price and I guess part of the discussion we were having earlier. Um, but it's a great company and uh, they, they've just hit it completely right in the sweet spot. Mm. Um, you know, there have been some problems um, that they mentioned in their numbers. Um, and one of them is um, uh, the rail system, um, Transnet. Um, that was a hindrance in the, the first half. And they do say that um, there are going to be improvements gradual though and what's interesting is that the company has uh, decided to look at trucking and starting to truck some coal um, as opposed to using transnet just to see how that goes to the yeah. ports and see how profitable and or not that can be um, yeah, I can't so, imagine Sanrail's too pleased about that, although they suppose they're going to uh, be making a little bit more um, out of their concessions. Um, but, uh, Drickers, yeah, so they could have exported more to uh, coal and they've had to uh, scale back their forecasts um, for, the, for the next uh, financial period. The, the, the question with, for anyone who has not been, who has not either had the foresight or the, I suppose, the nerve to, hurry, uh, to hang on to the Tungela shares is what to do now. You, you know, you just look at this and think, I, I've missed the boat. I, you know, I have to concede defeat. I'm not going to buy this. Um, or, or what do you think? I mean, it, it, can you really only uh, lose money if you had to buy Tungela at this point? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, under a certain set of circumstances that it offers value. Um, even if coal prices were to retrace by quite a bit, it will still make a lot of profit here. But most of the, those profits will be for the next few years. The problem is that they've got very short life bonds and a lot of those profits should go back into, you know, capital spending or maintenance capex for that matter, just to um, give those mines extra, some extra life. So um, that's that's why I, I left Tungela myself. Um, you know, could have kicked myself. I knew at thirty bucks this was a steal. Um, typically, spin-offs are what I ill-timed ill unbundling from Anglo. Must mm. <laughs> be said. Yep. Um, in, into a market that was, you know, um, very, very depressed. Um, and you know, I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm kicking myself. We've got some other coal players that have done um, quite well um, that have. You know that we're more comfortably in owning longer term. Um, you know the one that we own on the in, does business in the U.S. Eastern 
the eastern part of the US and they've got more than 40 years life of mine. So I'm just more comfortable owning those and sleeping at, I like sleeping at night. Yeah. I mean, just on that point, I mean, if you looked at their CapEx budget, it's not to, it's not to the high end. It's still, it's what sort of, uh, between 1.4 and 1.7 billion, I, I said um, to be corrected. Um, so is that too low for you? Uh, you know, if and, or if you were to hold, hang on to Tungela stock, would you want to see a higher spend on capex? Would no, that... actually not. I would I would like them to to pay out everything. I would like them to pay out everything because within the next few years, um, that, well, firstly, it um, with the transit issue, we don't know if that if that will be resolved. Yeah? That's the one one issue. Secondly, um, from a, from a jurisdiction, uh, from you know the jurisdiction that we're in, it's not the best place to own a coal mine, um, and not only for the transit issues, but with regards to you know the rights attached to those resources. So we do tend to rather own resources outside the jurisdiction, you know, of South Africa. Yeah. Um, and then now, so I would like to you know put that cash in the pocket and put it to work elsewhere if I were a shareholder. Uh, there's a question now on Nepi Rock Castle. Um, as a three-year investment, what do you make of it, Jonathan? Okay, I don't follow this one closely, so I don't have a strong view. Um, my little knowledge about this company is that it's a European-based firm. I think they've got interests or assets in, um, in Western Germany, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not one that I follow and I, I can't convincingly say anything fundamentally good or bad about it. Okay. I think it's more towards the East, sort of uh, Romanian uh, assets. European? Yeah. yeah. Um, Drukas, is this one that you've looked at recently? Sorry, Juliet, I just missed the company. Uh, Nepi Rockcastle. No, I haven't followed them in quite a while. The, the geographic exposure does give me pause though. Um, I mean, there have been a lot of um, property companies out with results recently. Nepica Rock Castle is, I suppose you could say, part of the resilient group of companies, and resilient came out with results last week. It also has stakes in Lighthouse um, uh, and in Hammerson, so it's got, you know, sort of tentacles, um, although the cross-share holdings, which were a big issue four years ago, have largely been cleaned up. I don't know if you look at any of those companies, because... Um, and so far as resilient is concerned, they seem to be doing quite well out of um, rental renewals. So they've gone up, whereas I think most of the mall owners in South Africa are seeing reversions still, um, whereas, sure. Nepi, um, whereas resilient is managing to actually get rental increases on existing tenants and new tenants. Um, I don't know if, if this takes your fancy because the, um, you know, there's still a big question mark of the sustainability of um, the retail focus to REITs recovery? Sure, we, we own one, Juliet. Uh, we, um, we, well, we own Eka Polska. Luckily, just as the war was starting to break out, Redefine bought them, you know? <laughs> um, they, they were the largest. So luckily we got to get out of jail card there. But, um, you know, because they've got all these Polish assets um, and um, Eastern Europe's not doing, looking too well at the moment, economy-wise. Um, but we do own Spear. And the one reason why we do own Spear is because it's Western Cape based, where I do see some semi-migration still happening and that should be supportive of property, uh, business property and retail property, etc. cetera, uh, more so than, than up here in the felt. And then um, secondly, they're small enough to be acquired. Uh, and then thirdly is the rental revisions that you're talking about looks, looks much, much better than what I've seen elsewhere in the industry, than the industry average. So. I think that's the key one to watch going forward with regards to the industry. And I'm not sure 
on each company specifics. You know, I've just generally uh, looked at what what it is, and um, but that will be the key variable. Looking, it's not sitting. You know, generally they're sitting at nine percent, ten percent dividend yields, um, which is not too bad relative to where you you know the our bond market is trading at. Um, but um, if you see rental revisions turning positive, you know, yeah. if you're seeing something in anywhere close to what inflation is doing at the moment, these should be right by quite, by quite a bit, I think. Yeah. Jonathan, are there any particular property companies that you like? Not really. Um, you know, we don't, um, we don't have big exposure to uh, that sector of the market. Um, I think, you know, you're talking about resilient earlier. I think resilient um, has got mixed assets, and I think they have been quite um, uh, opportunistic in the outer lying areas, smaller shopping centers, uh, as opposed to the big CBDs or big cities. Um, I do think that um, some of the property companies have done well recently, I guess, off a low base. I think, um, if I remember correctly, recently uh, L2D came out with some decent numbers, um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think their flagship was um, the Santon uh, City Asset, uh, yep. which has really recovered nicely. I think Eastgate um, was a little bit wobbly. So it, it, it is kind of mixed, um, but it's a, difficult, it's a difficult space to be in, actually. The problem with um, Liberty Two Degrees, which are in Santon City mm -hmm. and Eastgate, um, is that it's still got a, an office portfolio, and there the vacancy sure. levels are, are very high. I mean, would any of you be going anywhere near um, a, one of the listed South African property companies which has big office exposure? All I can see are to-let signs everywhere in Joburg. I don't know what the situation is yeah. like uh, in the Western Cape, um, but are these things to avoid still, would you say? Yeah, yeah so it's starting so. to fill, fill up a bit, um, Julieta, but we're nowhere close to pre-COVID levels. And I think generally, um, I live in Pretoria, and I can tell you there's been a lot of overcapacity, too much office space being built the last few years. Uh, just as COVID did, some of, the, some of those came to completion. So, you know, I think there's a bit of a supply gap as well. You know, mm. retail, definitely too much shopping malls per, per, per um, capita um, relative to, you know, most other emerging markets. So I do think there's a bit of an oversupply also in the market. Um, and I do, yeah, hopefully that, uh, we, we, we're more than halfway through the glut, you know, and through halfway through the recovery towards uh, more normalized uh, vacancy rates. But um, I'm not getting excited yet. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we haven't got any questions yet on ABSA, so I'm going to ask it. Um, Jonathan, what did you make of the results? The, the, the share price was relatively muted. Uh, you know, the, the, the trading update essentially flagged, um, it was well flagged what the numbers uh, were that it was going to report. Um, so the shares kind of didn't do too much in the day. But if you had a look at the ABSA results, um, you've had Nedbank out recently. Um, are there any clear front runners emerging yet, or would you want to still see what, what Standard Bank um, Look, and First Rand re report? Um, so I think APSA's results are actually excellent. Um, you know, so they reported 29.8% um, increase in HEPs, um, which I think is great. Um, interim dividend up 110% to 6 Rand 50. Um, their return on equity improved um, to 16.6% from 139 
and their revenue grew 14% to $47 billion, um, and their operating expenses only increased by 6%. So they're producing a cost-income ratio of around 52.4%, which I think is great. Um, and, you know, just crunched a couple of numbers, you know, assuming a headline earnings per share growth rate of 20% for the full year, remember this is for the first half, um, you know, puts them potentially on a forward P of around 7.3 times. Um, and they, they've stated that they intend to increase their dividend payout ratio to more than 50%. Um, so maybe the full year divvy this year could be 12 Rand 70, 12 Rand 80. Um, but all in all, I think it was a great set of numbers and um, non-interest revenue increasing. Um, they, you know, in this environment, just getting back to the banks, and whether it's FNB, whether it's Standard Bank, whether it's NetBank, by the way, Standard Bank is our preferred bank. Okay. Um, but, you know, this high or higher interest rate environment is definitely a positive for banks generally in terms of their earnings growth, um, something called the endowment effect. Yeah. So banks do tend to make more money um, generally um, when interest rates go up. Obviously, they've got to watch debts and bad debts and provisions and so forth. But um, I thought it was a great set of numbers. Drukas, what did you think? Because um, a lot of people have been picking the banks um, partly. I mean, Jonathan highlighted the dividend. So the dividend yield in the banks is very high, and that is maybe one reason to buy them. But um, And the net interest income, so in other words, high interest rates, as Jonathan said, swells their coffers. But uh, Absa did point out that its non-interest revenue is still below COVID's pre-COVID levels. And and that, to me, says don't expect any great growth fireworks in the next couple of years until that starts changing. Yeah, sure. I've, I've been actually very careful of the banks to, uh, to my own detriment um, <laughs> because we haven't seen any private sector credit extension growth, real private sector credit extension growth. It's been below inflation. It's been anemic, basically. Um, but now interest rate has increased. And as Jonathan said, that should help them with the interest rate margins, firstly. And that that is completely right as long as they keep lending out money. You know? And as long as, you know, there isn't an increase in the credit loss, credit losses. So firstly, on credit losses, they've over-provisioned during COVID. So I think our banks are much more resilient than we think they are. Mm. I think that's, that's, that's apparent, firstly. And secondly, um, well... Looks like that, at least from optically. And secondly, is all of a sudden private sector credit growth is sitting at seven and a half percent year over year. Yeah. Um, we've got credit growth all of a sudden, um, and so the banks are reinvesting at decent rates of return. At, okay. uh, you know, at, at this stage, while margins are higher. Yeah. So, would you be happy to hold banks? I mean, do you have any preferred pick? Yeah, so- I'm, I'm, I won't be a seller. It's, just uh, these levers, I'm not. Um, I won't be a seller if I'm holding. We we didn't buy enough. Okay. We've got small exposure, but yeah, um, I won't be selling now. Okay. All right. Well, getting to your stock picks this evening, Drikas, um, sticking with you, what would you be buying? Yeah, well, actually, I think it's a great day to buy some energy, and Julie. So whenever energy is oil price down four percent, you should buy some. Um, yeah, uh, I think regular viewers should know that I'm I'm a long-term energy bull, but I do think there's some weakness uh, still in the short term in energy prices. Um, and in uh, proper down days, if you haven't got enough exposure, add some. Uh, our pick is African Oil. African Oil is listed in Toronto. It's basically a hold co. It uh, owns some other exploration companies. 
but it's also got a proper cash flow generating assets. It's called um, Prime Prime uh, Energy, and it's got a 50% stake in there. One of the assets is uh, is part of the. They've got a 7% stake in that Namibian gas fund, Venus X or yeah. Venus something. Okay. Uh, and um, so uh, all of these gas funds that they've got all around the African coast, most yeah. of it isn't discounted at all within the price. And um, they've got a um, renegotiations with their lease in Nigeria coming online, and okay. the market is basically pricing them to not get any uh, 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 extension on their lease on their Nigerian rights. So I think... Uh, okay, a few factors to consider there. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to cut you off there. Um, Jonathan, what would you be buying? Okay. So my stock pick for this evening is uh, Philip Morris, um, steady eddy type of uh, business, tobacco company um, that we like. Um, it's evolving into a smoke-free future for the long term to include products outside of tobacco and nicotine sector. Um, some of the brands that uh, the viewers might know, Marlboro, Parliament, Bond Street, Chesterfield, has a market cap of 2.5 trillion rand trades on a P of 17 pounds and a 4.8% dividend yield. Um, high quality company on the back of a strong cash conversion, high dividend payouts and strong returns. And its competitive advantage is its exposure to reduced risk products to drive revenue growth and margin exposure. Okay. It is in the process of um, some corporate action that's looking to buy a competitor. Um, the competitor is called um, Swedish Match, and this should enhance earnings going forward. It's uh, they, they're putting in a bit of $106, and we'll have to see um, mm. in time what that will mean. Intrinsic value, slightly higher than where it is now, okay. $110 a share. They're trading just below $100 a share. Yeah. Okay. So, Philip Morris rather than British American Tobacco, one to consider there. Um, Jonathan uh, Drickus, thanks very much for joining us this evening. Nice to see you both uh, this evening. Jonathan Fisher is from PSG Wealth Centre and Grayston Drickus Combrink is from Capicraft. We'll be back with Stockwatch tomorrow night, same time, same place. Have a good evening.